Well, we're in a series called Divided, and we recognize that we live in a world seeming, it seems to be more and more divided all the time. And that the things that separate us, the divisions, the disagreements, they seem to be growing and to be enhanced. It seems like everybody uh, in our culture is at the extreme edges, and that makes us seem further apart. And yet the truth is that inside of a divided world, a world with people that are very different from each other, that God still has a plan to bring a divided world together. And so in this series, we're looking at the passages in Scripture called the one another passages. And they are literally many verses in the Bible that use that phrase one another. And almost all of them are really a call to how we are to get along with each other. And instead of being divided, be unified. And it's nothing short of a miracle when that happens. It's not real common in our world. And yet God really does want that for us. He has created us. And his heart for us is that we would treat each other the same way that he treats us. And so we've been looking at this. And this week I want to focus in on for Mother's Day. The title of the message is Love Each Other. Because this is the tone of probably the most of the commands, the one another passages, is a, that commandment, that encouragement to love one another. So we know it's a big deal to God. And on Mother's Day, thought it would be appropriate because in our homes, um, oftentimes it is our mothers who are um, kind of encouraging us and trying to get us to get along, to love each other. I know my mom certainly did that with my brother and I. We did not make it easy on her. Maybe some of your children don't make it easy on you either, moms. In fact, one little girl noticed that her mom had a couple of gray hairs on her otherwise brunette colored hair. And she said, Mom, why are those hairs gray? And her mom said, well, sweetie, every time that you disobey me, you don't do what I say, you fight with your brother, one of my hairs turns gray. And the little girl thought for a minute, She said, Mom, why are all of Grandma's hairs gray? (laughs) Mothers want us to do the right thing. (laughs) They have good hearts that way. They're sincere. And they really want us to move in the right direction. And that's why, again, as a church, we really want to empower our moms and dads. We want to empower them to be able to encourage children in the right direction. Um, You probably know, if you've tried to raise some little children, that they don't just automatically know what the right thing to do is. And if they do know the right thing to do, they don't always do it. And so what an encouragement it is to have a church that has other adults and other leaders who are reinforcing the instructions in Scripture, that are helping children, especially in a day and age where there's a lot being said to them, being pushed on them that would pull them away from God, that we have a resource here, a body of Christ, a church that is really investing in kids. And again, the ministries that we have, I just couldn't be more thankful um, for Awana and for VBS and for our children's ministries on the weekends. They're so important because it's hard enough, right? It's hard enough for families to instruct their children and to reinforce that. And we all know that what God has to say encourages our children in the right direction. And so I just want to encourage you again, continue to pray for and support the ministries of this church and uh, families take advantage of them. 
Um, they're not, uh, it's never an imposition to have your children, okay? It's not an imposition. It's why we're here. Big part of why we're here. So um, we, love, we love kids and we want to help them. It's so important. Um, and so uh, continue to pray for that and support it. As a church, you know, we're trying to teach our children to love God and to love each other. And we know, again, sometimes we wonder how much can kids really understand what it means to love? Can they really get it? Do they really understand what love's all about? Well, there was um, some children who were asked to define or describe what love is. And here's some of their answers. Rebecca, who was eight, said, When my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore. So my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. Hmm. Billy, age four, said, When someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You just know that your name is safe in their mouth. <laughs> Chrissy, who's six, said that, uh, says love is when you go out to eat and give someone most of your French fries without making them give you any of theirs. <laughs> Terry, who's four, said love is what makes you smile when you're tired. Danny, who's seven, said love is when my mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him just to make sure it tastes okay. Nakia, who's six, said, if you want to learn to love better, you should start with a friend who you hate. <laughs> Nicole, who's seven, said, love is when you tell a guy you like his shirt, then he wears it every day. <laughs> Tommy, who's six, said, love is like a little old woman and a little old man who are still friends, even after they know each other so well. Claire, who is six, said, my mommy loves, my, uh, loves me more than anybody. You don't see anyone else kissing me to sleep at night. Elaine, who is five, said, love is when mommy gives daddy the best piece of chicken. And then Jessica, who is eight, said, you really shouldn't say I love you unless you mean it. But if you mean it, you should say it a lot. People forget. Children can tell when love is real. And we can too. People know what the real thing is, even though we struggle a lot of times to express it and maybe receive it too. The Bible tells us, though, where love comes from. And I think it's so important that we recognize and consider and are connected to the source, the very source of love. It's hard to give something away when you're not receiving it, when you're not experiencing it in your own life. It's pretty hard to demonstrate to other people something that maybe you don't even have an understanding of what it really is, or you're not receiving it. 1 John 4, 7 through 10 says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. God showed how much he loved us, by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. The truth is that the message of the gospel that the Bible presents to us and tells us about is of a God who loves us, who created us, who made us in his image. And you, 
are loved by him. He's the reason you're here. And so to understand that is to understand who we are. It's hard to know who we really are without knowing the God that created us and loves us. And the truth is that God demonstrated his love for you in sending his son, Jesus, to the earth. You know, God, uh, Jesus was in a great spot in heaven. He was, he was honored and worshiped and respected for who he was. Everything was as it should be. And yet he humbled himself and sacrificed, coming to this earth, taking on a human body, living among us. And though he didn't sin, he experienced the pain that sin brings. He saw the effects of sin in other people's lives. And ultimately, as he walked among us, he demonstrated the heart of God for us, loving us, sharing with us uh, who God really is and what he expects of us and what he wants for us. And all of along, he said, listen, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And that's because it is only by putting your trust in Jesus, the Son of God, believing that he was God, that he walked on this earth, and that the things he did reflected the truth of who God is. And that his words were consistent with everything he did. And that when he went to the cross, shedding his blood, sacrificing himself, that that sacrifice was to pay for your sin and for the sin of the whole world. He atoned for us, paying that price. And then Jesus is able to offer you and I forgiveness, right? But it's only as we trust in his death, his burial, his resurrection, believing that when he rose again, he conquered sin and death once and for all. And that trusting in him, believing in who he is, right, is the only way to the Father. But that's the good news that the Bible teaches us. It's a good news that we need. We need to be forgiven. We need to be healed. We need to have our sins washed away so that we can be right with God. We can walk in forgiveness, free from the effects of sin and the power that sin holds over us. This passage tells us again how much God loves us. Jesus commands us to love each other. As we put our trust in him, Jesus says, okay, I'm gonna give you forgiveness, right? I'm gonna set you free. You're restored. Your relationship with God is restored. And now I'm gonna put you in my family. And so Jesus puts you in a family, in a church with other followers of Jesus. And then he says to you, I love you, right? I've forgiven you. I'm putting you with this other group of people. I know you didn't choose to be there. I'm putting you there, right? But now I want you to love them. Love them the way I love you. This is the nature of the relationship that God has with us and what he asks of us. Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, so now I'm giving you this new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. He said, listen, this is the marker that you belong to me and that I am in you and that you as a group are really following God is that you're loving each other. Understanding how to love each other is really important. Grabbing a hold of this commandment that Jesus gave is one of the most important things that you and I could ever do. There's a lot of things we can do in this life, a lot of things that are meaningful and important. 
But I'm going to tell you the things God cares about most. Number one and number two on God's list, and they're both listed as number one, is that you would love God and that you would love others. This is what God wants us to figure out. And so it's important that we pay attention to it and we put some effort into growing in it. Regardless of the differences that we have between us, we are commanded to treat each other the way or in a way that honors God. In fact, though we will struggle at times to want to love each other, the truth is we have an obligation to love each other. Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, reads this way. We owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say, you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. We know um, that in the New Testament, we no longer live under the law. We're no longer required to follow the law. This was a requirement in the Old Testament. That's how God um, held his people accountable to live in a way that honored him. And we say in the New Testament, under Jesus, we're no longer under the law. We're set free, right? We're no longer under that obligation. The truth is, though, (laughs) that the law didn't go away. And those requirements and expectations that God has for us did not drop down (laughs) so that we don't have to do that much. You know, the law as described here in Romans is kind of a don't hurt others presentation. Like, could you not kill each other? You know, could you not sleep with your neighbor's wife? Don't want the things your, your neighbor has. I mean, it's a pretty simple list. It's not real extensive. And yet in the New Testament, we find a new commandment. God actually raises the bar. He doesn't lower it. He says, yeah, I don't want you to treat your neighbor harm uh, with harm. I don't want you to do harm to anybody. But more than that, I want you to treat your neighbor the way I do, the way I treat you. <laughs> I want you to love them. I want you to want what's best for them. Do good towards them. Don't just don't do harm. <laughs> do good. Give good things to them. Even your enemies you can love. And so it's, it's really a, a step up. God gives us so much in saving us. He doesn't lower the bar in what he expects of us and wants for us. He really wants us to live uh, at a higher level because we've been set free from the power of sin. We actually are experiencing and can experience a transformation of God at work in our life. When we see people the way God sees them, it changes us. If we can gain the perspective that God has, that each and every person matters to him. He values um, humanity more than we could comprehend. And so this perspective is got to get in our hearts and minds and change the way we think, the way we see people, the way we interact with them. When we get this perspective, we can recognize there's so much more that God wants for us. The reason, though, that it starts off as an obligation, you're required. God doesn't say, 
if you feel like it. He doesn't say if you're, you know, if you, the person is, is acting in a manner that makes you want to, right? It's a command. It's like you're, you're going to do this. Expect it of you. God is like, if you want my presence, if you want my forgiveness, if you want my love, then you're going to show it to the people around you, period. No ifs, ands, or buts, right? And yet we struggle because we don't feel like it. Things happen that affect us. Our emotions are hard to manage sometimes. And and when we don't feel like something, we don't want to do it. It's not just true of our children, it's true of us too. Yet C.S. Lewis gave some wisdom in regards to this in his book, Mere Christianity. He wrote it this way. Don't waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you loved someone, you will presently come to love him. If you injure someone you dislike, you will find yourself disliking him more. If you do good, if you do him a good turn, you will find yourself disliking him less. It's a funny thing about us as people (laughs) that when we do the right thing, we act the right way, a lot of times our emotions and feelings will follow. It isn't that our emotions and feelings lead us in the right direction. If you've tried to follow them, you know they'll lead you in the wrong direction a lot of times. And so we must determine as an act of our will because God requires us to do what he says, to treat others out of, yes, at first out of an obligation, but to treat them in a loving manner. Um, I've, I've heard it described and, and said that love in the Bible is not primarily a feeling. It is an action. And so the commands to love are always action-oriented. And so the truth is, we can love even our enemies. It doesn't mean we have to feel good feelings towards them, but we have to act the right way towards them. And that's where it starts. But this leads us to the next principle. C.S. Lewis's wisdom is that when our actions are correct, our feelings will follow. And that's why, even though it starts as an obligation for us, we really can love each other sincerely. Romans 12, starting in verse 10, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he penned it this way. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Saying, listen, even though it may start as an obligation, and there's times that you're going to have to do it as an obligation, just because God said, (laughs) but it really can turn into um, loving others and treating others the way God would out of a sincere heart, um, out of a real desire to see what's best for them and want that even regardless of what they've done to you or me. I know that we tolerate insincere transactional relationships a lot in our lives. Sometimes we can get to thinking that's all that's really possible is just a transactional relationship. You do scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, right? 
But the truth is God has much more that he wants to reveal to you. He wants to show you and teach you how to go much deeper, how to want what's best for others and really sincerely care about them, again, regardless of what they're doing to you. What this requires in my estimation is that our hearts are being softened towards others, not hardened. (laughs) I don't know about you, but as we go through life, things happen, people do stuff. It's easy to have our hearts get harder towards other people and not softer. And yet the love of God should be softening our hearts. So the question is, are are you softening your heart? I think the ways in which that happens are when we spend time in God's word every day. We allow God to influence us. We don't wrestle with what's in the Bible, but we accept it as God's word, his truth, and what we need. And so we spend time in God's word. We're spending time in prayer every day, talking to God. God, help me to have your heart. Help me to react the right way, respond the right way. Help me to see people the way you do. Listening to the Holy Spirit. The Bible says the Holy Spirit dwells within us and he will walk with us and teach us, instruct us, correct us. Are you living with an awareness that the Holy Spirit is in your life? Are you responding to his direction? I think one of the things that keeps our hearts hardened towards others is when we remember or nurse wrongs that have been done to us. You probably heard this saying, nursing a grudge, right? Have you heard that? Okay, I want you to have a visual that comes into your mind the next time you think of some wrong that somebody's done to you. You know, nursing happens from mothers to babies, right? Babies are nursed, and they're nursed because that's their being fed. And when babies are nursed and fed, what do they do? They grow. So, in reality, when you have a wrong that someone's done to you, and you nurse that wrong, you're nursing a little baby grudge, okay? And what's it going to do if you nurse it? It's going to grow. And so 10 years from now, that thing that happened to you will be bigger than when it happened. You'll be more upset by it. You'll be more frustrated by it. You'll be more angry at that person. Some of us have 100 baby grudges that we're nursing, right? In fact, there's so many grudges to nurse, we can hardly do anything else. Do you know how much of your time and effort it takes to nurse those things? Listen, I know we want babies to live. Baby grudges can die, okay? (laughs) You need to starve them off. You starve them off by refusing to feed them. Refusing to allow them to grow in your mind and pour over what was done and how that person did it and what they meant and how, how wrong they were and what they intended towards you. Look, the love of God says you don't have to live that way. So the next time that you think of a wrong someone's done to you, just think how you're nursing a little baby grudge. Let him die. Let him go away. Our focus so much affects how we live. Failing to ask God for forgiveness in our own lives can cause us to live kind of self-righteously towards others. Um, We can think that we're pretty good. (laughs) Other people have the problems. But I know for me, when I reflect on the things that I've done wrong, the areas in which I'm sinning and struggling, and I'm asking God for forgiveness, it helps keep me in the right place in my walk with God, and it keeps me from getting too big um, in my ego and sense of myself. Um, Dealing with wounds that we have 
seeking to experience the healing that God wants to bring into our lives, feeding our addictions and our bad habits can continue to keep our hearts hard and keep us from healing. What God wants to do is come into your life and bring restoration. He wants to heal you. It's why we have Celebrate Recovery here on Wednesday nights. It's a ministry designed to help us heal, help us get over hurts, get, help us uh, get past addictions and hangups. 1 Peter 1.22 says, You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. <laughs> Cleansing from sins happens when we obey the truth, when we follow God and we do what he says. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Love each other deeply with all your heart. This love comes from God. We're not going to be able to do it when we're walking in our sin nature, which is selfish, right, and self-centered. This keeps us from loving others the way God wants us to. And we are hardwired to be selfish and self-centered, right? We just are. And so we need to have a rewiring done in our hearts and minds And this is what God wants to do through the power of his word, the power of the Holy Spirit, and our attention to his presence in our lives. Truth, or excuse me, true love, actually moves from a place of just um, thinking about others in a good way. Really, true love will lead us to a place where we forget about ourselves and we think about the other person first. And this is kind of a miraculous thing. Doesn't seem possible that I would think of others first. The Bible says to think of others as better than ourselves, to be concerned about them, to be conscientious, and to be other-centered requires that I have lost the self-centeredness that I'm naturally born with. And again, I think mothers give us the best example of this kind of love. Um, William Gladstone, who was in English Parliament, was announcing the death of Princess Alice to the House of Commons, and he told the story of what had happened to her. He said, Princess Alice, um, her little daughter, came down with diphtheria. She was very ill. And the doctor told her, Princess Alice told her, Mother, do not kiss your baby girl or you will get sick too. But one night as the child was struggling to breathe, she picked her up and held her in her arms, trying to help her as she struggled. And in a moment of fear and desperation, the little girl said, Mama, kiss me. And without even thinking, Princess Alice kissed the child. And she, of course, became sick and passed away. But see, that's real love. She didn't think about herself. She didn't think about the danger to herself. She thought only of caring for her child. This is the kind of love that God wants us to have for each other. It's the kind of love that he has for us. Again, Jesus did not consider himself. He thought about you. He thought about your needs, the need that you had to be forgiven. And he sacrificed himself in order to accomplish that. So the truth is that we only grow to love others the way God expects us as we grow in our relationship with him. Loving others is a natural part of living a holy life. We've talked about discipleship here as a church, and that simply means to follow Jesus and to grow in him. And I will promise you that if you're growing in your relationship with Jesus, if you're moving forward, being more obedient to him, allowing God to transform your life, that you will find that you love others, that it just happens in your heart and mind. Your heart will get softened. Your mind will be changed. 
And pretty soon you'll find that you are loving others in an altogether different way than you thought was possible. See, God does expect us to live a holy life. He didn't come to forgive us of our sins so we could continue to live in sin. (laughs) He came to set us free from all that. So we could live the way he wants us to, to live above the sins and struggles in this world, and to live by his power, experiencing his healing. And Jesus, once again, says to us, I want you to love each other, especially your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? The way that I love you. First Thessalonians 4, 9. But we don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God himself has taught you to love one another. Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica says, Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. I kind of hear Paul writing to this church and saying, Listen, guys, you're doing a really good job. I mean, you're doing it. You're loving others. In fact, the whole region knows that you guys love your brothers and sisters in Christ, even in other towns, in other cities, in other churches. They know that you guys really are living out this love that God wants you to live out. But one of the things I like about the Apostle Paul, he's kind of like a coach. And he says, hey guys, you're doing a good job, but you could do better. You could do more. You could do a great job. Keep growing in it. And it's kind of like some of you are doing a great job. You're loving your family. You're loving your neighbor. You're really trying to do your best towards other people. But don't, don't uh, just be satisfied with doing a good job. Continue to grow. Continue to be an example to others. And I think that's true for us as a church. Like we can, we can do better. And I like that about the Christian walk. Um, there's never a point where we've reached the ultimate, but there's always growth. I know that maybe we don't all love that, but I do. I love that there's always more. There's always another place to get to. Um, and I think that's important. 1 John 2, 7. Dear friends, I am writing, or I am not writing, a new commandment to you or for you. Rather, it's an old one. You have heard it from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before. I'm sure you've heard this commandment, love one another. I'm sure this isn't new to most of you, but it is a needed reminder because it's hard because we can um, accept less than what God wants us to do and even in even <laughs> some of you might have been falling asleep. I'm just saying. <laughs> some of you might have been no. Okay, thank you. So, uh, so yeah. Now that we're all awake again, um, this is no. You were awake. Hey, listen. This is this is what God wants for us. His desire is that we grow in it. Where is the breakdown? Why do we struggle? I'm irritated by the way they treat me. I'm frustrated by the way they act. I'm hurt by the things they say and do. Do we have expectations of others that is higher than maybe even the expectations we have of ourselves? Do we care too much what other people think about us and say? I think one of the things I've been trying to work on in my life is uh, to grow in humility. And humility is the opposite of what you feel like doing when you're in an intense or tough or difficult situation. You do not feel like being humble and exhibiting humility. At least I don't. But I know it's important. And so I really have consciously been trying to grow in that area. Say, God, help me in a difficult situation to choose humility 
rather than my pride, rather than respond, rather than get upset. Help me to be humble. There's a, a saying or kind of a writing by Andrew Murray that helps me in this. I think it's really good. It says, humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is for me to have no trouble, never to be fretted or vexed or irritated or sore or disappointed. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my Father in secret and be at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around is trouble. It is the fruit of the Lord Jesus Christ's redemptive work on Calvary's cross, manifested in those of his own who are definitely subject to the Holy Spirit. 1 John three eighteen, Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let's allow God to continue to change us, teach us what love is, so we can treat each other, and not just each other, but the world around us, the way God would. We can be a conduit for God in this world. I want to encourage you to continue to grow. Continue to allow God to soften your heart, to change you, to transform you, so that we can be a unified church. It's healthy and unified, firing on all cylinders. And in a divided world, we can show the world that we can be unified. God, thanks for your love for us, for your care and concern that you show towards us the way you want to grow us and teach us. You're patient with us. But God, you continue to persist, pushing us to reflect you in our lives. And God, I pray that you'd help us. Help us as we struggle in a real world with real issues, with real people who often do not treat us well. Some even want to harm us. God, I pray that you'd give us your heart and your eyes for people. Help us to see how you love us. Help us to respond in obedience, to love others. And God, just continue to soften and change our hearts. We know that you will. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.